Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, and we are mere days away from Super Bowl 54 in Miami. While the offshore sports books are getting ready to sweat the length of Demi Lovato's national anthem and whether it's over or under two minutes, hoping she doesn't controversially say brave twice, I have my own Demi Lovato prop. I'm going under 0.5 Demi Lovato songs that my podcast partner, John, can name. Do I win? Uh, <laughs> you you are a winner, Eric. Yeah, All right. Well played. Uh, I've heard of her. I know she's fairly young, and I want to say she had said some sort of drama about her. Mm-hmm. Um, did she date John Mayer? Because that always seems like a good bet. <laughs> that is usually a safe bet. I'm not sure. I know I know she dated for a long time Wilmer Valderrama from that 70s show. Maybe John Mayer also, though. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't watch that show either. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I figure it, I lived. I lived it actually. So I didn't <laughs> there you go. Is it about you? Is it <laughs> secretly I clothes? Yeah. Right. There you go. <laughs> it's actually. It was actually a very enjoyable show uh, in, in its time. I don't know how, how well it holds up. Uh, you know, twenty or so years later. But I enjoyed it when it was on. But uh, yeah. So you're. So you were at zero Demi Lovato songs that yeah, you can name. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm right there with you. So uh, and I'll say. Uh, moving on from the national anthem singers, but uh, sticking with the, the topic of uh, modern pop stars that uh, that have, have kind of passed me by. The, these halftime shows in general uh, have passed me by and make me feel old because I haven't been a fan of uh, any of the acts doing the halftime show in like a decade. You know, uh, a- aging white guys like me, we, we had a good run there for a few years right after the uh, Janet Jackson nipplegate. They played it very safe with uh, Paul McCartney the next year. And then it was the who Springsteen, Tom Petty. Uh, But lately it's been one pop star after another where the emphasis is on the dancing and not the music. I figure if if there's a prop on annoyed faces I make during the JLo Shakira performance this year, I would, I would definitely say take the over on that one. Uh, The under on the seconds that I watched that show. That's about that. Okay, so we got under on that, over on my annoyed faces. All right, and I've already won uh, my first uh, prop bet of the Super Bowl (laughs) under one half a Demi Lovato song. All right, well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 76 of Gamble On. And even though it's episode number 76, I promise not to spend the entire episode talking about my 76ers. I'll save that for the late spring after they've won the NBA championship. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, if you missed any of our previous 75 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, and coming up a little later on the show, Eric, we'll be joined for the second time, but really the first time in more than a year, by the great veteran Las Vegas bookmaker Johnny Avello. Uh, Johnny's been a director of sportsbook operations for DraftKings since 2018, and he'll join us today to talk about all things Super Bowl betting, the total, the props, whether I should hedge my Chiefs futures bet, you name it. Uh, But first, it's been yet another busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. The interview segment and the bankroll segment will mostly be devoted to the Super Bowl, but the news segment here will be Super Bowl free. And we start with news that became official on Wednesday, but had been rumored for a few weeks. For $163 million, Penn National Gaming purchased a 36% stake in Barstool Sports, the digital media outlet with a mostly young, mostly male, likely interested in sports betting fan base. Despite operating 41 casinos in 19 states, Penn National doesn't have the brand recognition of competitors like DraftKings, FanDuel, MGM, etc., 
So it's looking to reach a bigger audience by opening up Barstool Sportsbook and using the reach of the Barstool website, podcasts, and so forth. This also means some of Penn National's competitors will no longer be able to advertise on Barstool content. I'll be honest, while I know of Barstool Sports, I've never really read their articles or listened to their podcasts, so I couldn't tell you quite what kind of content Penn National is acquiring. Uh, That said, John, it can't be long before, say, Caesars swoops in and pays millions for Gamble On, right? Ooh, that sounds good. We got (laughs) to break that scoop for sure, though. Yes, yes. (laughs) I would hope we'd be the first to know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, In all seriousness, does this strike you as a good deal for Penn National Gaming? And will Barstool Sportsbook and Barstool Casino compete with the likes of FanDuel and DraftKings? You know, I find this deal pretty fascinating. Uh, maybe the most interesting one of the past year, believe it or not, because of the ceiling and the floor. I mean, hmm. the ceiling is Barstool's massive millennial and younger male sports fanatic audience. Uh, and as importantly, their brand loyalty. Um, you know, founder Dave Portnoy has a chance to gravitate his flock toward Penn National, or as it turns out, really to a Barstool sports betting app in states like New Jersey. Um, Keep in mind, Penn is a half-owner of Freehold Raceway, uh, which famously has yet to leave the starting gate on sports betting 18 months after it gained that opportunity. So uh, uh, that's almost a lock, uh, I would say, by mid-August. Now, the floor, though, is that the Barstool brand has some baggage with it in terms Mm -hmm. of at least perceptions of misogyny. I I can't say I've done a full investigation there by any means either, Um, but there have been some actions over the years that make a lot of people wince on that front. You know, New Jersey's the bellwether in terms of regulations in many respects. And, you know, Penn National, at least, has decades of approvals from the State Racing Commission. They're a well-established brand in the state. But, you know, if Barstool got into more hot water, and those waters seem to have cooled in the past two or three years, but, you know, the stakes, they could be pretty high all of a sudden. You know, fall out of favor in New Jersey. These newcomer states might get a little gun-shy about the brand. I mean, ultimately, I I think Portnoy's turned 40 now, and while his core audience skews younger than that, they're they're maturing too, perhaps. And hmm. my hunch would be that Barstool Nation has gotten plenty of chance to thumb its nose at what it calls political correctness and all that, and that they may all be willing to tone down the act a little bit. But if they continue to chase the latest frat boys, that group is going to demand more and more provocative content, which is where it's going to get complicated. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't quite thought about all those uh, ceiling and floor possibilities. I, I was thinking just about. Um, you know, with regard to the power and reach of the Barstool brand, uh, you know, I was a firm believer that the Fox reach and brand were going to help Fox bet challenge for the top spot and nothing close to that has happened yet. Uh, so, so that, uh, makes me wonder a little, just, um, you know, just, just how far the Barstool brand, uh, can carry, uh, Penn National here. Now I realize Fox and Barstool are, are, are different. Fox is obviously much more mainstream. Barstool has, I guess, it's sort of hardcore dug in fans. Um, and, and Barstool, I would assume, has a bigger database of people in the proper demographic whom it can email all the special sign up offers to. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how far that goes. Um, I guess I look at this for Penn National as a move that that keeps them out of the basement uh, more so than one that actually pushes them to the penthouse. Like, I don't think Barstool is really likely to compete with FanDuel and DraftKings at the very top, but at least this makes the the Penn National app here with the Barstool Sportsbook name somewhat relevant. And, you know, just the, just the way that I... Uh, approach sports betting. You know, I have three sports betting sites in Pennsylvania that I use currently. I'm not really looking for more accounts than that. Um, but if Barstool shows up and they're giving away enough free money at sign up, I'll give them a shot. Um, but it's still, it's really tough to compete though with all the 
boosts and promos and basically free money that DraftKings and FanDuel continue to hand out, not just to new signups, but to uh, people who have been loyal customers for uh, these these first several months. So, um, you know, it's a good time to be a better in a betting state. This, this is an interesting one with Barstool. Like you said, it, it's it, it could it could really go very high or, or very low. Well, that loyalty works two ways, right? If 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 the bar the stoolies as they call them, if right. the stoolies all buy in, this will be their sports betting brand. They'll get rid of the apps, other apps if they have to, or they'll get into it just because of that. But if there's suddenly a perception of, well, now you've sold out, you guys are getting too soft, the content mm-hmm. isn't as edgy as it was, and then there's a sort of a a negative vibe against it, that whole barstool nation thing that goes the other way too. All of a sudden, they're fleeing because you know somebody else comes along who's willing to give them what maybe barstool isn't giving them as much of anymore. Right. Okay. Lots to look for there. Uh, Our next story, uh, it's been a couple of months since we've talked about Colorado sports betting. Uh, It's been fairly quiet there since voters narrowly approved sports wagering in a referendum on Election Day in November. But on Monday morning, the news floodgates opened as several top online betting brands announced deals to enter the forthcoming Colorado market. The most notable are those DFS giants, DraftKings and FanDuel, who each acquired one of Twin Rivers' three available skins. Uh, And in lesser news, The Score announced a deal with Jacobs Entertainment Incorporated. Colorado will become the sixth state to have a DraftKings sportsbook and the fifth with a FanDuel sportsbook, and it will be the second state with the score bet, giving New Jersey company on that front. Under state law, the earliest that betting can begin is May 1st. John, what's the outlook for Colorado sports betting, and are there any brands you're surprised didn't make a splash with an announcement on Monday? Well, yeah, you know, we know that the West doesn't historically have much of an appetite for being pioneers in terms of any sort of legal gambling. And I kind of blame the fresh, clean air for that. You know, who wants (laughs) to stay inside? And, you know, the better the hike, the less likely you are to have a cell phone signal anyway. So or one. So uh, and just like sort of understand I've been out there uh, often enough to Colorado, Utah, Idaho and such. Um, So Colorado could tempt a couple of neighbors to kick the tires in sports betting. uh, But don't expect a frenzy on that front. You know, you don't have the northeast, these tiny little states and there's borders and all kinds of populations centers. I mean, it's big out there. So now as far as surprises, you know, I guess by now I just assume FanDuel and DraftKing in every market and those are the locks and right. they've got something like three quarters of the market in New Jersey, it seems like. Um, so who else should I have expected? I don't know. Uh, well, though, I guess the one that I would have expected uh, was was William Hill, just because I recall reading some quotes from Joe Asher uh, back back when the referendum was happening. So it seemed like William Hill w- was interested. But, you know, it, it, not everyone had to uh, leap in on the exact same day, I suppose. Uh, we still have till May 1st, at least before anyone begins betting. So I presume we'll be hearing from William Hill in Colorado soon. Um, and uh, I should note, uh, we discussed this uh, in November, but I'll reiterate that FanDuel put $250,000 into the campaign to publicize the referendum and uh, try to push people to vote yes on it. So it's certainly no surprise uh, that they've gone ahead and positioned themselves in the Colorado market. Yeah, and I agree with you on William Hill. They'll, they'll get in there and I wouldn't be surprised if they're in there before May 1st. Right. All right, our final story this week is a follow-up on our lead story a few weeks ago, the controversial DraftKings millionaire maker win by former Bachelor contestant Jade Roper Tolbert, who was suspected of having her DraftKings account controlled by her husband, Tanner Tolbert, also a member of Bachelor Nation. On Saturday, DraftKings announced the conclusion of its investigation. 
sort of. Uh, the company announced on Twitter that it had, quote, updated the standings for several contests and noted that it is our general policy not to comment further on such matters. It was only after some DFS players shared new contest screenshots that it was clear that, yes, they were talking about contests the Tolberts played in, and in fact, Tolbert entries, including Jade's million-dollar winner, had been disqualified and everybody else moved up. Uh, and that was all the information we got. We don't know if they were found guilty of collusion, multi-accounting, or both. Uh, what steps DraftKings will take to prevent this going forward? Nothing. And not surprisingly, we don't know whether they were paid some amount under the table to avoid further legal squabbles. Uh, DraftKings dumped the news on a Saturday morning, said almost nothing, and apparently hopes never to hear about it again. I wrote an article where I took the stance that DraftKings made the right decision, but should have done so with more transparency. John, do you agree with me, or are you okay with DraftKings keeping everyone in the dark about all the details? Well, yeah, I think Delhi Fantasy Sports dies in darkness, so um, <laughs> there you I'm, go. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to trademark that one. I think. Yes. Um, I will say that I think the runner-up was brilliant to sue or threatened to sue, whatever he did, um, mm -hmm. uh, with a prominent attorney. Um, the circumstantial case was pretty obvious, and, and fact-finding would have been a black eye for DraftKings and a dragged-out process and was not going to be good for them. So now I do wonder, though, if the Bachelor couple may have you – know, maybe they got their season's worth of losses back, which I think was close to 20000 or so, and called it a day. Um, terms not disclosed, as you say. Um, I wondered occasionally about DFS in general, too. I think even amateur poker players know if they enter a game with the world's best, they're doomed, right? But still, I think there are some newcomer DFS players with the, in these big contests, and they're so naive to how far ahead the experts are. And, and these two aren't even experts, yet they gained a strategic advantage clearly over neophytes with their lineup choices. So right. you know, contrast that with straight-up sports betting where you're extremely likely to be within a whisker or two of break-even over time. Uh, so you very likely wind up on the wrong side of the edge, but you really do have a chance and you may not lose much. But then I'm realizing, you know, DFS has already seemed to weather the first wave of sports betting legalization quite nicely. And, you know, and their advantage is, you know, choosing a unique lineup, which is so appealing, obviously. Uh, right. It's not just rooting for the Giants plus 10 and a half and sit there for three hours um, for those who don't even do live betting. Right. Um, so I suppose while there's inevitable crossover, it's not really an either or situation for these fans as far as DFS and sports betting. Right. Um, yeah. In terms of the amount that they were uh, in the hole prior to winning the million, uh, it was I believe it was David Payne Purdom's article on ESPN uh, that actually had come up with the number that they were like sixty two thousand uh, dollars in the hole. So if uh, if if indeed, you know, DraftKings offered them something to just sort of get them their losses back or whatever, it would be more in, in that range. But, um, you know, it, it's no surprise uh, that everyone is hush hush about an under the table deal that's part of it being under the table so uh, i and you know there would surely be an, an nda so I, I have no problem with that part being kept quiet um i thought a uh, friend of the podcast dan box take on this was insightful uh, he said if we don't hear about the tolbert suing DraftKings, that means they got paid and if they didn't get paid they'll sue um <laughs> but you know i i just don't get why DraftKings can't use this opportunity to make a strong statement you know say something like our investigation revealed strong evidence of multi-accounting. We have a zero tolerance policy. We will be examining lineups closely moving forward. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, you're not likely to ever catch any non-celebrity married couples um, who, who do this. Um, but you can at least strike a little fear in people. Uh, instead, they said nothing. And I, I think that does a real disservice to the players 
who follow the community guidelines and the terms of use. Uh, I spoke to Roto Grinders Jordan Cooper uh, about this for my article, and you know he was saying he plays by the rules. If the Tolberts had gotten away with this, he would take it as a sign that he could just sign up his wife and get in double the entries, that they're saying, go ahead, it's a free-for-all. Um, now, they obviously didn't do that by officially disqualifying them, but uh, I, I feel like they needed, needed to say something. Um, you know, it, it's like the PED problem in baseball uh, around the turn of the century. If you ignore it, then the pressure is on the players to do PEDs to keep up. Um, and, and I think DraftKings, despite making the right official ruling, I think they dropped the ball here by zipping their lips on any and all details. Yeah, I agree with you because it's like anything else. If you just tell people you can't do this, obviously the the insiders are going to still be able to do it and they're not going to be fooled. But you know, the average person doesn't want any trouble. It's the same with offshore sports books and, and in a lot of ways. The hardcore gambler, they've been doing it for years. They continue to do it. But the average person's like, is that illegal? I don't know. I don't want to do it. Right. And then in these states, they say, oh, it's legal now. And you're getting a new marketplace because they, they know, okay, I can do this all right, but um, I don't want to take any chances. So yeah, they can get a good portion of the uh, of the problem gone just by telling people you can't do it, even right. though we all know, wink, wink, you can get away with it. <laughs> right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. biggest single sports betting event of the year is just a few days away, and who better to talk to about Super Bowl betting than one of the most respected names in bookmaking, DraftKings Director of Sportsbook Operations, Johnny Avello. Johnny has been in the industry for four decades and works out of Las Vegas, but of course DraftKings now operates in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia, and New Hampshire, so this will be not just a Las Vegas conversation, but a national sports betting conversation. Uh, Johnny appeared on Gamble On way back on our 16th episode, and we're thrilled to have him back. Johnny, thanks for joining us again on Gamble On. You are so welcome. So uh, in the first days after the Super Bowl matchup was set, DraftKings reported getting 96% of the action on the over for the point total. Can you ever recall action that one-sided on a Super Bowl line before? And were you surprised that the public was so unanimously pounding the over when this game does feature one elite defense on the 49ers side? Yeah, this isn't unusual to have, uh, you know, all the reaction on the over uh, in the first week or so of the, you know, of the betting. It's happened before. When the consumer looks at the matchup of the game and they see two teams that can uh, score in excess of 30 points a game, at, you know, on, on a, any given Sunday, so to speak, uh, they they'll they'll bet the over. Uh, and let's face it, both of these teams are capable of doing that. I thought the uh, the line we opened up, the 53, uh, 53 and a half, was a good opener. Um, you know, and I understand the public's going to bet over. They're going to bet over if it was 63. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, so, so uh, yeah, it's happened before, and, uh, and I understand uh, the public. Public sentiment here. Just as you know, those were the the opening days where it was ninety six percent. Has it started to balance a little, or you still haven't seen much under action? No, I think the under players, and remember, the under players are uh, guys that have handicapped this game who feel that uh, it will stay under the fifty four and a half, fifty five, and this the uh, sharps who 
like to find a number that runs and bet under that number when they can get it to the highest point. Now, what is the highest point on this game? 55 might be, might be 55 and a half. Um, nobody's going to jump in until they find out what that, you know, the top is. Right. Uh, and uh, yet we've yet to find it. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Now, Johnny, on our shared bankroll segment on this podcast, uh, late in the regular season, I took the advice of one of our previous guests and uh, I liked his reasoning. So I got the Chiefs at 11 to one to win the Super Bowl uh, for 30 units to win 330. Um, so let's talk about hedges there. Um, what are the factors for me to take in, you know, regarding whether I do anything from, you know, put 160 or so on the 49ers money line and call it a day or let it all ride? Um, you know, Eric today posted a story on this very topic on usbets.com. But since you're here, I'd like uh, your uh, seasoned advice as well. Well, you know, I think the first question to ask is how bad do you need the money? Uh, because, you know, you're talking 330 bucks. If you were talking 33,000, I would say, uh, you know, take a piece of this back. But one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, don't be afraid to take down the bet. Uh, you know, you made the bet, you got good value. Don't be afraid to win it. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of times hedging takes place when it doesn't need to, ends up costing you half the money. Um, but in in some cases, I believe that it needs to be done. So, uh, you know, it's if the three thirty to you, you want to make sure that you're going to win at least uh, you know a hundred and a quarter here. I, you can put yourself in that spot if you want to. All right. Yeah, I'm leaning toward letting it ride. Uh, you guys are winning me over. <laughs> How about this? How about I got a better idea? Yeah. How about waiting until the game starts and then finding something on the end game that'll put you in a better spot? Okay, hmm, that sounds good. Yeah, there you go. So, so basically, like if if the Chiefs uh, get out get out to a little lead, you you can uh, you can hedge hedge at better odds, something like that. You're saying, Johnny? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, you know, or the, or the, he's got the Chiefs at eleven to one, and you know maybe he can grab the Forty ers at three to one at some point during the game, or two to one, two fifty, and then at that point he doesn't have to put up so much to uh, you know to level out his, what he wants to win. Makes sense. Um, all right, let, let's talk about the props. All, all the sports books have so many props on the Super Bowl that I get lost sifting through them. Certainly one fun thing to do is to pick a crazy long shot prop and, and see if you can turn a little into a lot. So I see that on DraftKings you have uh, 40 to 1 on the MVP coming from the losing team, 33 to 1 on your fat man touchdown prop for an offensive lineman to score, and uh, 66 to 1 on the opening kickoff being returned for a touchdown. Is there a particular off beat prop that's gaining a lot of traction with the betters this year. You know, like, I, and I'd have to imagine just calling the prop, uh, the fat man TD that, that that's uh, getting you some attention right there. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that's getting a little bit of attention. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a bad choice of words we use there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's there. We, we also have a, a, you know, a trick play, uh, special. We have uh, we have even something up with Tom Brady where he's going next. We have mm. some retirement special props. We have mm. uh, the jersey number of the uh, first touchdown score. So we have a lot of things out there. And I, I'm going to be honest with you that those type of props are they do draw some money. They're good conversation pieces. Uh, the money on the props is normally on the 
the uh, you know the players themselves, the uh, touchdown passes thrown, the amount of yards of running back will run, and the alternative props. And that's believe it or not, those alternative props write a lot of money. They're the ones where a guy says, uh, "I'm going to lay the Chiefs minus fourteen and a half and take you know six to one." Yeah. That's the kind of stuff where we get strung out sometimes in the game, uh, and so. We get lopsided on those types of props. But, you know, you talked about getting dizzy looking at them. Uh, I look at them every day, and I, I'm getting dizzy. Too, so. <laughs> I believe it. Well, I, I, well, I wouldn't feel too bad about uh, your wording on the fat man TD. I, uh, I, I would have to imagine that uh, most offensive linemen uh, would, wouldn't be offended at, at uh, being referred to in that regard. They, they know they're big guys. They eat a lot. That's, that's what they're paid to do. No, they would say something like, "You call this fat? This ain't fat. This is muscle." <laughs> it's 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 usually a combination of both, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember Keith Jackson used to call the linemen the, the big ugly, so uh, you're doing him a favor, I think, with fat man. <laughs> so you didn't say they weren't handsome. So uh, I have one other question to Johnny. Uh, you know, I covered the NBA throughout the 1990s, uh, probably a hundred or so uh, Nick playoff games, literally um, home and away, and and that ill-fated bit bid for their NBA title. And But once I left the beat, I was surprised to discover I, I almost immediately kind of stopped watching very many NBA games in my newfound spare time. And that's pretty much continued over the years. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, I'm sure you watch the Super Bowl, obviously, but, you know, can you match the typical fans' enthusiasm for it? And and if you can't, does a part of you miss having what I, I kind of call the having an innocence about sports? Well, you know, the NBA um... – I like the NBA at the playoff time. During the regular season, it doesn't excite me too much. Uh, and the games change. I mean, I, I played basketball my whole life. Um, and the fundamentals of the game are kind of out the window. Uh, you know, crossover dribbles now. That used to be palm in the ball. There's no such call anymore. Uh, you know, you could get away with two plus one on the steps. Now it's four plus three. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's kind of crazy how how the how so much uh, goes by. And this is more in the pro game. Certainly, the college still keeps some of the rules intact. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of with you. Um, uh, I'm not a big fan of the NBA, and I'm not sure how the NBA has been able to pay the guys the money they've paid them. I guess TV contracts uh, has done that for them. But I'm not sure that the enthusiasm of the NBA is as high as the NBA has led us to believe. Um, Now, playoffs are a different issue, no question about it. As soon as the playoffs hit, uh, you know, the game, the market share goes way up. But the regular season, uh, we, we get disinterested for many reasons. There's... Guys don't play. They got, you know, they got uh, management nights. They can't uh, play because they can't play two games in a row. Uh, three starters will sit out on the night when guys have gone to the game, paid big bucks with, for their family, and three starters aren't playing. So, you know, there's a lot of things that have gone on with the game, which has uh, kind of uh, irked me a bit. And what what happens though with the Super Bowl? Are you still working all night on uh, live odds, or can you sit back and watch the game and the commercials and all that? Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a commercial in the Super Bowl for forty <laughs> years. Um, I do see I see them the next day or a week later or whenever they're replayed again. But during the game, I I haven't seen one. So uh, relaxing, uh, I would say. 
I do relax a little bit during the game. Um, you know, it's but it's I would still say there's a little stress level there. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. But uh, hopefully, at least once the game is over, hopefully you can get a good night's sleep. But uh, thanks uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again, Johnny. It's always great talking to you. Hope you uh, enjoy the Super Bowl as best you can and uh, hope hope we see a better game than last year, even if the books uh, were, were pretty happy last year about all the unders hitting. Uh, for the fans' sake, I hope we see a better game this year. Yes, guys. Thanks for having me on. Have a fine week. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We will get to our final football picks of the season shortly, but first we update our betting bankroll, and we did nothing but lose last week. Uh, We only had two bets that got graded, but still, both were losers. Uh, John's bet on Colin Morikawa for the top 20 was a crusher. He finished 21st. John, before I get into our other bets, uh, you want to share any details on just how bad this beat was? This is my favorite bad beat ever so far. Oh, wow. And, okay. And 76 podcasts. Yeah. Okay. So Morikawa, for a lot of people would know, um, he's a 22-year-old phenom on the PGA Tour. Now, last week, remember, I boldly predicted he would beat his round one and two partners, Tiger Woods and John Rahm, head-to-head, uh, in spite of the huge galleries following that group, that he wasn't going to be intimidated. Well, he beats Tiger by a shot for the 36 holes. He missed by two inches on the last hole of beating Rahm instead of tying him oh, through 36. So I was pretty good there. Our guy's two shots out of the lead on the back nine on Saturday. I think he was tied for fourth. We look great. And then double bogey, bogey, double bogey, bogey in a span of four holes. Kicked away all of our margin. I mean, I hope the gallery was able to jump out of the way on all those wheels falling off. (laughs) Now, Sunday was better with two birdies and two bogeys in the last five holes, though. So he spends about an hour dancing between, I think, 19th and 22nd as the later groups finish. And then uh, finally, he's tied for 20th. And I'm going to get a chop on my plus 300 play, along with, by the way, non-entity Jason Coker who I took the year before and Matthew <laughs> the week before right. and Matthew Wolf, who a few weeks ago I chose as the top 10 in a 40 player invitational. <laughs> he finished time for 11th. So both of them are going to take further crumbs out of my pocket. Um, that is until the last second to last group. We got Cameron Champ. He makes a sidewinding 40 foot eagle putt to pass all three of them and leave me penniless. <laughs> and I said, that's one of the best bets I ever lost. <laughs> Brutal. So close. Uh, but uh, as they say, uh, close only counts in uh, horseshoes, hand grenades and points betting. Uh, I believe uh, that's the the updated uh, cliche on uh, where where close counts. <laughs> that is true. All right, so we lost a hundred dollars on that, and we also lost fifty dollars on my upset pick of boxer Arnold Hagai to beat Stefan Fulton. Uh, but it was a competitive fight, so taking a plus seven fifty underdog, I feel okay about the process there. Uh, my other boxing bet was on a fight that was supposed to take place this coming Saturday. But the fight was scheduled for China, so due to the coronavirus, it has been postponed. Uh, the bet, though, should still be valid, assuming it gets rescheduled in a reasonable span of time. Uh, our other bets from last week were Super Bowl MVP bets on George Kittle and Tyreek Hill. And, of course, we still have John's 11-1 to bet on the Chiefs. Uh, we'll see whether he does anything to hedge it here uh, in these uh, next few minutes or not. But uh, in the short term... We lost $150 last week. We're now at minus $250, and we have $995 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $8,755 available to bet this week. And you're up first, John. Uh, I'm going to get right back up on the PGA Tour horse uh, as I begin my defense of my 13-man, 32-week golf pool championship. I can hardly wait. Uh, they're in Phoenix <laughs> this week. We're a crowd of 20,000 expected. 
at the par 3 16th hole on Saturday. Yeah. Galleries are about 200,000 strong on days like that. Wow. It's the biggest golf party of the year. This is the one that if you hate golf because it's boring, you can watch this one because it's crazy rowdy the whole weekend. Uh, and some players love this atmosphere. And I'm going to go with another one of my phenoms, Victor Hovland, at, at 100 at plus 200 to merely place in the top 20. I'm going to trust my process. All right. Let's see if this one comes through. I uh, all all I know for sure is that this means that uh, Morikawa will finish in the top twenty this week. <laughs> he might. <yeah. laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to go with a very fun Super Bowl prop. Uh, over under the jersey number of the first player to score a touchdown. The line is twenty six and a half, and there's minus one forty three juice on DraftKings on the under. But I'll pay it. Uh, among the fifteen individual players considered most likely to score a touchdown. Only four have jersey numbers higher than 26. Uh, I'm almost surprised the line wasn't 25 and a half to get the 26s uh, on the other side and balance out the VIG a bit. Um, I'm the Chiefs. Mahomes, Williams, Tyreek, Hardman, Robinson, and Watkins are all unders. The only over among high-likelihood players is Travis Kelsey. On the 49ers, the unders include Garoppolo, Breda, Coleman, Samuel, and Sanders. The overs are Mostert, Kittle, and Bourne. Uh I like the volume of options on the under, yeah. even if at most dirt and the two tight ends do give you something to worry about. But uh, let's bet 143 to win 100 there that it's going to be under 26 and a half. Yeah, that's uh, pretty good. Uh, the, it seems like all the, the, the field, though, is probably going to be over 26 and a half uniform number. But uh, uh, the, we'll the, see. the field meaning like a random defensive player or someone well, like that. Well, even a random, you know, uh, the, the, the Full fourth wide receiver. Or, yeah. Somebody, they're all over 26 and a half. But right. uh, all right, I'm going to join the Super Bowl fun, too, then. Good. I'm going with number of players to throw a pass in the game. Right. Uh-huh. It's over two, over two and a half at 100 to win 124. Um, we know 100% that two players will throw passes. So I win this one with, for example, an injury to either quarterback, a wide receiver toss and a gimmick play, a fake punt or field goal. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that can happen. I, I get that third player to throw a pass. I didn't go with complete a pass because that's uh, I can get longer odds, but I'm not sure they're going to complete it. So right. uh, just throwing it is all I need. So I'm saying there's a chance. Yeah, I, I love this bet. I was looking at this bet and I, I think it's a very fun one and um, hate to uh Hate to put this sort of a spin on it, but if any quarterbacks get hurt, even just a minor, you know, have to sit out for a, a series or something because yeah. they uh, twisted an ankle or, or something, uh, you're, you're, you're getting a third player that way with a backup quarterback. Yeah. But yeah, the chances of of one of these coaches rolling out one weird razzle-dazzle play where, you know, Tyreek Hill tries to throw a pass or something. Uh, yeah, I, I like this one. The fact that you're getting any kind of plus money is pretty good here. Yeah. All right. The final bet, uh, I took uh, Kittle for MVP last week, so I'm doubling down a bit with another Kittle bet. I found a prop to pick between Kittle and Kelsey, who will have more receiving yards. Kelsey is considered the slight favorite at minus 115. Kittle is just minus 105. But I like the Kittle side uh, because of the defenses that they're up against. The Chiefs D is among the worst in the league against tight ends. The Niners D is much stronger in that regard. And the two players are basically equals. Kittle averaged 75.2 receiving yards per game this season. Kelsey averaged 76.8. So they're basically identical numbers there. I really see Garoppolo leaning on Kittle in this game. That's his safety valve. Let's bet 105 to win 100 that Kittle racks up more receiving yards than Kelsey. <laughs> and now it's time for our Super Bowl picks. We are tied with identical records of 6-4 and four against the spread in the playoffs. The consensus line for the Super Bowl as of our recording time is Chiefs minus 1.5. 
It's your turn to pick first, John. All right. Well, I've been going a little bit back and forth on the 49ers all year, Eric. And uh, now I'm back, or is it fourth? I don't even know anymore. Um, either way, <laughs> give me the Niners and the one and a half points. Um, the defense has allowed more than 27 points only twice in 18 games, and they're going to win the line of scrimmage battle against the Chiefs' offensive line, I think. Um, Tennessee almost had Pat Mahomes on the ropes, we saw. And this is another step up in class here. So I'm on Jimmy Garoppolo makes some unexpected plays, too. And um, as far as that, the, the hedge on the Chiefs bet, I'm realizing this is my hedge. I'm going to let it ride on the uh, bankroll, but okay. I'm going to take the 49ers on this side. So I'm going to so I'm going to split the baby anyway. All right. So a, a pride hedge, uh, <laughs> I, I guess, uh, even if there's no money at stake. Yeah, here. I really want both of them. Yeah, so right. We'll right. Hey, hey, you got that. You got that opportunity for the the, the middle on the one point there. <laughs> um, so, uh, all right. We are we are going to finish in a tie. Either we'll both be six and five or we'll both be seven and four. Um, I'm going to go with my head over my heart, uh, thus giving me a bit of an emotional hedge here, um, because I, I will be rooting against my pick, as it sounds like you probably will be, too, because of your uh, your Chiefs bet. Um, I've come around on the sentimentality of wanting to see Andy win one. Uh, you know, I, I had my fun laughing at Chiefs fans when he blew it in the playoffs several times and telling them, eh, he's your problem now. Uh, but since the Eagles won a Super Bowl, I can relax and, and be happy for Andy if he gets one. Um, also, the very vocal political support of a certain father of a certain 49ers coach for a certain individual gives me a reason to root against San Francisco. Uh, not that the league isn't full of executives and coaches who I wouldn't see eye to eye with politically, but most of them don't speak at rallies. Uh, so anyway, that's why I'm rooting for the Chiefs. But my head says, after doubting the Niners all season, I kind of think they're the better team here. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City got a golden path to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, the, the Patriots choked against Miami. That gives the Chiefs a bye. Uh, they don't have to play New England. They don't have to play Baltimore. They get home games against the Texans and Titans, and they still dug themselves those big holes. Yeah. It's worrying. And uh, throw in the Andy Reid does tend to get out coached when it counts factor. And um, I hope I'm wrong, but I see the 49ers eking this one out. And uh, of course, the line uh, bails us out, even if they lose by a point. So uh, I will root against my pick. Uh, since this is for nothing but pride, but I too am taking the 49ers plus one and a half. <laughs> and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Johnny Avello. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, I hand the mic over to you. Please take us out. Well, Eric, like everybody else, I've had uh, the death of Kobe Bryant on my mind quite a bit this week. And, um, you know, think about it, on the basketball court, who is the ultimate shoot from the hip riverboat gambler but but Kobe. Hmm. And uh, there's one particular thing. You know, as pal Tracy McGrady said in the aftermath that Kobe sometimes talked about wanting to die young, which sounds crazy to most people. And given his passion for his wife and four daughters, it might seem to make no sense. But I, I think I kind of know what he meant, um, believe it or not. Um, I'll take you back to 1996. The NBA has its 50th anniversary at the all-star game in Cleveland. Um, there's a Saturday press availability. It's in a hall. It looks like a grand wedding reception. Except instead of flowers and centerpieces, each table had an NBA legend. It's amazing. Um, the first player I noticed was another great Laker, Will Chamberlain, holding forth before a big press entourage. He liked to wave his massive hands around and laugh up a storm. He was really larger than life in more ways than one. And you go a couple of years later, there's an NBA lockout. And as a charity fundraiser, supposed to take place in the Catskills in upstate New York. And due to some miscommunication, no current players show up. 
So poor Wilt is the one attraction for a mercifully modest crowd on a mercilessly hot night with no air conditioning and a gem. It was just awful. Um, so I'm asking a clearly worn out Wilt some questions in between autograph signings. And pretty soon he just looks at me. I'm the only reporter there. He's got a beaten look in his eyes and he just asks, you know, is that enough? And it, it was. It was for me as well as him. I mean, it was hard to say who was more distressed at the interaction, me, who remembered watching his later years in the NBA, or, or him, you know. And less than a year later, uh, Wilt was dead at an old 63. It was sad. Uh, point being, that's what Kobe didn't want, I think. You know, that Black Mamba persona, imagine him winding up Sunday looking haggard and broken on a supermarket tabloid with headlines predicting his imminent demise. For him, anything but that. Um, but that he wanted to be around for his daughter's weddings and the grandchildren and all that, I have no doubt. You know, the thing I, I learned so much dealing with so many professional athletes over the years is there's the person and there's a persona, and they're not exactly the same thing in any way. So, um, with all that said, let's continue looking forward to Super Bowl Sunday. Until next time, everybody, gamble on. <laughs>